following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is an honor, a joy to be with you all once again, and an honor and a joy to be here right here, right now. You know, the word legend gets thrown around quite a lot in the wrestling business. And the word legend is very, very apparent right here, right now, because I'm going to be interviewing a real legend from the sport of professional wrestling. He is, without a doubt, one of the most magnificent performers in wrestling history. He is the one. He is the only, the magnificent Don, the Rock Morocco. How are you, Don? Hello, good morning. How are you, Carl? I'm good, sir. Thank you so much. Doing great, yeah. I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear. That's great to hear. I'm I'm excited, thrilled to have the chance to talk to you. And as per usual, Don, on the show, the first question I always ask all of our guests is, is before you got into the wrestling business, how did you become a fan of, of professional wrestling? Um, watching it on TV, I think it's just like everybody else who was, uh, you know, out of school and stuff. And, um, uh, was entertained. We had a great group of uh, professionals. King Curtis, who's a who, who's famous, uh, famous throughout Australia, and uh, uh, several of those, you know, a lot of those gentlemen. Uh, and uh, just you know, as it as it grew, and I used to go to a a gym. Uh, my daughter's calling. Uh, in Waikiki, Dean Hugo, Dean Higuchi, who became Dean Ho, wrestler. Excuse me. One second. What? I'm in the podcast. I don't know what he's I'm not calling you. Why? <laughs> Family. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I uh, started working out the Dean Higuchi gym in Waikiki. So um, at that time, they were Jim Barnett was running Australia as well as the Japan tours. And the guys would stop by on, you know, stop in Hawaii on their way to uh on the way to Australia. And I got to know, you know, quite a few of the, the, the wrestlers and stuff. They're all great guys. And I was an amateur wrestler in high school. They would, you know, work on the mat, work in, in the gym and the weights and stuff. And you know, it was a good bunch of guys. Um why I got in, I, I don't, you know, it was just, you know, it was the love of the business. It, it wasn't um it wasn't like today. I didn't see big dollar signs. I didn't, you know, the the, the Rock and Stone Cold and Chris Jericho and these kind. Of, I didn't see that. You know, I don't think anybody saw that kind of money. It was more of a more of a, just a, a love for, for the business and and you know an enjoyment of what was going on, and what was going down. I didn't uh, never for never envisioned myself as a as a Hollywood icon or a, you know or a national uh, you know. And that, you know, uh, and just to just for the wrestling, for the sake of wrestling, in front of crowds, enjoy the crowds, enjoy performing uh, in, in such a manner. But yeah, in those days, God, I don't know why a lot of guys got into professional wrestling back in those days. It's just, uh, you know, the maybe maybe they had a family or watching it, but um, it, it wasn't with the anticipation um, 
I think that a lot of guys go through now. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I love, I just love hearing those stories of, of how it all kind of came about into people's lives. And, and Don, on this show, I'm going to be jumping all over the place. Uh, uh, I'm not going through a certain timeline. I'm just going to be jumping right into different things here. And my next question was working with Hulk Hogan. This is, he's on my shirt right here. Uh, working with him during the height of Hulkamania. I've never had the opportunity to ask anybody who worked with him during that time when Hulkamania was run wild. Um, so I just wanted to know, what was it like working with him during that time and that atmosphere in those arenas uh, would be just absolutely electric. So how, how was that? Well, simply great. You know, he was, uh, wrestling had changed. You know, there weren't salty, salty old guys that, that uh, would put you in your place or, you know, it, it was, uh, it would gone down, there were, you know, he was a star. And, and he carried it, you know, and, and he was able to, he was able to produce, produce as such. And the, the buildings were full. The, the people were into it. You know, it was, it was great. Um, being in the ring with him was, uh, was easy. You know, that there were, you know, I'm not going to say he was limited because he, there's a lot of things he didn't have to do because he was Hulk Hogan and because the TV was, was geared, uh, was focused on his and the legend of Hulk Hogan. And um, everybody kind of became, you know, uh, bit players, you know, role players in, in the whole saga, the story that was, it was WWF at the time. So, you know, yeah. And, and plus, you know, you know, you're getting some good change coming down the, coming down the line, you know, yeah, you saw your name opposite Hulk, you know, that was a good, uh, that was a good payday on the way. But yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was super. Excellent, excellent. Uh, moving forward, my next question is is about, of course, the one and only Mr. Fuji. I I, I love stories about him because he, this man is hilarious, especially with the rib stories, and and he is the master at the craft of it. Um, I wanted to know if you could share any rib stories that you'd witnessed him pull on somebody else, or or, or just any that you know in general of him. Oh, I've gone through many of them. Um, to start off, my oldest daughter, Malia, she was staying with me in Waikiki. And uh, it was a hotel. Downstairs was a uh, drugstore sundries. You know, you pick up like a 7-Eleven, but, you know, a lot, lot classier and not as, not, as, uh, not, not as many. Anyway, she was 10, 12 years old, young at the time. So he saw her in the store. I was upstairs getting ready to leave, do her going somewhere. He, he saw her in the store. So, you know, one of these plastic paper bags or paper, he got a he got a bag and he filled the whole thing full of candy up to the top. The entire must have cost, you know, in those days, you know, 10, 15 bucks worth of candy. Probably now it'd be about 25, 30 bucks. But that, you know, it was, you know, just full of candy. And he goes, oh, go ahead, go, honey, go, let's get your dad. You know, she comes walking, she's got, you know, you're as a kind of a, trying to be a conscientious parent, your daughter walks up, you know, with, you know, 20 bucks worth of, 20 bucks worth of chocolate and sugar. You what the hell, you know, you turn into, you're just a rotten guy. I give me that, you know, you can't, you can't walk around with a bag, big grocery bag full of Kent chocolates and sugar, you know, that makes me the bad guy. That was, you know, that was kind of his uh, mo for for and then you know many the other the other stories the dogs the cats and the 
you know, and the, and the car putting the racing Tanaka's car and putting it on blocks and so when he's going, <laughs> you can't see it. He put puts it in, puts it reverse nowhere. The cars, the wheels are spinning, the engine's running perfectly, the car's not moving anywhere, you know. Things like that. You know, it's, it's normal little. You, you kind of cut it early here, sorry, you kind of got me at, at a at a minimum of, of uh, great Fuji stories, but he was always chaining guys' bags to the to benches and you know uh, there was a execution of Ron Shaw and he was he was uh, playing an executioner at the time and um, it was a bit arrogant and so it was the last day on the road we were in Utica New York it's upstate New York where it snows like hell and it was snowing like hell in the poker game he'd taken uh, in the afternoon all the motel he'd taken contributions you know I'm going for this and that I went to the Hardware store, bought a big chain and, and a gigantic lock, all his clothes in his bag and everything, and, and chained it to a chair while he was in the ring wrestling. So when he got out of the ring, he had to stand his wrestling gear, drive all the way back from Utica, all the way back to South Jersey, um, dressed as the executioner. <laughs> with the wet, wet, just, you know, just, just things like that. <laughs> I, I wanted to see if he knew of this one because I, I, I heard this story and I wasn't sure if it was true or not, but I don't know who he was with, but it was somebody that didn't know the area very well. And he was he was driving Mr. Fuji to the arena uh, and it took them like seven hours to get there. And then when they drove back, uh, it only took 15 minutes because the way there, Mr. Fuji was giving directions how to get there. And then on the way back, it was 15 minutes, and the guy couldn't believe that it only took 15 minutes to get back. Is that true? Do you know of that one? Oh, yeah. That's, that's a Baron Leone rib. But that's he did that to several. And we, uh, we, uh, in Hawaii, we had Wednesday night. We worked at a Civic Auditorium, which is it's in in, uh, in Honolulu right there. And on the weekends, they would uh, they would book one of the military bases, Pearl, uh, Pearl Harbor Block Arena, or Conrad Bull up in Schofield. I, I don't remember which which one it was, but he says, oh, oh, he told the guy the night before, oh, get ready, we got to leave. 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, we got a long trip. Way to go. So he'd take them and go around, all around the island, back and forth, back and forth, stop to each lunch somewhere. Um, naturally, probably catch them for the tap because he was driving, <laughs> eat the lunch, go. But before they go, pull into a store, buy all the beer, and uh, we call it poo-poo, you know, food to eat. While you're while you're drinking, by you know, load his cooler, load his car full of uh, full of you know these guys are getting main you know first class tours around the island too. But he'd load his cooler, load her, load everything else for the trip back, a long trip back to Honolulu from Block Arena. They get back in the car, well, fifteen minutes later. Okay, you guys, see you later. You need to take off, booze, food, everything. And then, yeah, that was that was one of his, that was one of his standards. <laughs> that's fantastic uh I, I just love all those stories about him uh one of a kind human being um I, I i've been in my research i've been searching for stuff with with yourself and 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 fuji and and one segment i found was uh you both uh doing stand-up comedy um i believe with uh lord alfred and uh mean gene there um cracking up uh <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about uh that segment well, that kind of uh, it all mushroomed into uh, there was a there was an old uh, uh, soap opera, uh, 
Search Search for Tomorrow was the name of it. And um, Roddy Piper, we wanted, we wanted Piper to do it, but Piper was more into, uh, he was more into getting himself into Hollywood and, and the full movie. So they they stuck, they sent me and Fuji down there to do the um, do the tape. And you tape, and it takes maybe a couple hours to tape a tape, a, you know, like a whole week long segments because they inserted in and out and, and um, all over that. So we started all those on the, the search for tomorrow, all those. And then so the, they had a TMT program, the Tuesday Night Titans that Vince and uh, ended up to Lord Alford and Gorilla and those guys, would, you know, ended up taking up the mean gene. It moved on. But they were, you know, that's what the start of um, was Fuji Vice and Fuji Bandito, Fuji General, and all those, all those horrendous, uh, all those horrendous skits. Like their own concept of that was the worst, the better, you know. So all you know, they'd give us, you know, well, they'd give me a, a kind of a, a glimpse at a script, and they'd give Fuji just the, even less of that because they, they loved when he used used his own, you know. I obviously the one line was. This will withstand the test of time. And Fuji goes, this will withstand the taste of time. And just, <laughs> he, would, he, would murder, he would murder the Indians like that. So the, the segment came on where they were, uh, whoever it was, Monsoon or somebody, or Lord Alhays, they were giving us the business. You guys, you know, what do you think? You know, that stuff he does it, it, is rubbish. You know, you know, those, so what are you talking about? You know, we'd counter, you know, I'd counter, what are you talking about? Hollywood's calling, you know, the, uh, down the loss, they're, they're setting up lots and everything. I can, you know, I can do anything. There's, I, there's nothing I can't, you know. There's nothing I, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do for you tonight. I'll do a, a the Johnny Carson was the big monologue the evening, set, evening uh, uh, tonight show guy. So I'll do a Carson monologue just off the cuff. Oh, excuse me, off the cuff, off the cuff. I'll just do a Carson monologue for you. And they, you know, oh, you're going to do a Carson monologue? Sure, I am. Blah, blah, blah. Back and forth. So that was, you know, the, the setup was okay. So then we went in, and they had the old teleprompters on the front of the front of the uh, the camera screen, in front of the the movie, the TV camera, the thing that they had a, it was a rollout uh, rollout printer with the, the words printed. They weren't even printed; they were handwritten. <laughs> and I didn't. Uh, I had a quick look at the script, but I didn't really even, you know, I to this day I, I barely remember. I mailed the Marcos joke. And that's about it. I, mean, I don't even remember that anymore. But they, they, I had no time, no time to uh, prepare or to get timing or you know, Fuji. Did, and Fuji had his his uh, his comebacks and stuff. So we they set us up in front of there, and then they started running that prompt teleprompter, and they ran it. So, and I'm just reading as fast as I could, going going through trying to go through the lines. And Fuji's doing his you know answering the uh, Abbott and Costello routine and. Uh, <laughs> And um, you know, standing true to true to what they believed, the worst was better, and just couldn't get any worse than that. It was, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it a couple of times, and I laugh now because you know how bad it was. But that, uh, that was the honestly, that was the intention. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't trying to think that that I would be much better, and not that I'd be a lot better at stand up comedy later if I practiced. You know, they they put together, you know. Dozen horrible jokes and horrible timing, and they just ran it so fast I could hardly read. Now that's the that's that's the monologue, the comedy monologue. 
Excellent. No, I thought it was champagne television, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, again, jumping all over the place, 1988, I just wanted to ask you about this guy. You, you teamed with the Ultimate Warrior four times in 1988. Um, I just wanted to know what um, you know he was like back then. I know he's a bit of an odd guy, so if you had any stories of any interactions with him. He was uh, pretty new to the area. And um, had been the Dingle Warrior, and Vince didn't like that. Was looking around for uh, a, a new name, so he came up with the uh, Ultimate Warrior. And um, uh, yeah, at that time he was good. All these guys, you know, Paul, Kim, everybody was. You know, it was before. I guess everything morphed into the uh, the back back scenes office uh, office office battles and office uh, manipulations and stuff like that. So he was a pretty good guy. And it was like the, the case, you know, like earlier with Hulk, you know, he was, he was a star. He didn't really have to, he had the body, the looks, uh, the thing, the merchandisable uh, quality to sell uh, dolls and, and um, lunch boxes and t-shirts and everything else. So he was, uh, you know, obviously a, a new star or next star for Vince, whether he's going to go, how far he's going to go, you know, obviously depended upon him. But at that time, he was um, traveled a lot with his wife, his first wife at the time, and he was pretty cool. Worked out, you know. wasn't as um, as 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 different as he, he was. Uh, he became the known, you know, became known as as later, you know, hard to get along with, off the wall, strange, uh, you know, uh, warrior family and warrior this warrior nation. Yeah. Yeah, he was he's still pretty cool. He was just getting his feet wet, you know. Okay, interesting. Like hearing about that. Um, next question, Don. We're, we're we're talking about you going down under because there's a a tour in 1993 you did uh, called Wrestling Down Under, where you work with uh, the Junkyard Dog on the 25th and 26th of February and the 2nd of March '93, and then on the fourth you wrestled Jake the Snake Roberts in the main event. Just want to know what your memories were of uh, coming down to Australia during that tour. Well, that was, uh, I'd been to Australia several times previous to that. I was with uh, Larry Miller and Ronnie O'Day when they took over the promotion from Jim Barnett. And I, right. I was down there. I was down, I, I loved, I loved that part of the world. New Zealand, Australia. I, I thought I was, you know, if it hadn't been for grandkids and, and, and all the ties over here, I was, you know, I was, spent, and my lack of, you know, ability to travel, I was planning to spend at least half the year you know, in New Zealand or Australia and the other half being back here at home in Hawaii. But, um, yeah, I loved it. Uh, that tour, that tour had, uh, Chris Benoit on it. And, yeah. uh, I, I knew, I knew, got to know him a little bit. Like I, and I was just, I just watched the dark side about him, uh, recently, a couple of days ago. And then realized he'd gone through all that, you know, and he had, he was so fragile mentally, but I, I, on the trip, he was, uh, like everybody says about him, he's a great guy. Nicest guy, quiet. When they say, you know, hard performance was obviously before, I think it was before he'd, he'd reached uh, his WWF, um, you know, the, the height with the WCW and WWF yeah. that, 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 he, that he later, I guess later, I'm saying later, that he later reached, but a great worker, great guy. And, you know, different guys like that. Jake was on the tour, Jim Neidhart, uh, JYD. A lot of guys that aren't with us anymore. Um, Matt Bourne, 
Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, it was, and I knew I had spent a lot of time in Australia. I, I you know, I, I'd, I'd gone there from, from New Zealand. I went to Australia. They needed a guy to stay there. And then we went through the, to, to the Christmas holidays and I came back after Christmas and went worked it longer. And I, and I came there uh, another time for Larry Day and, and Ronnie when they were running, running other shows. So I had, you know, I had a good, good, uh, good record, you know, good run, good time in Australia. And then Excellent, excellent. Um, okay, jumping over again to the, the UWF with Herb Abrams. Uh, anytime I know somebody's worked there and had any interaction with Herb, I have to ask about it because uh, <laughs> just the other day I, I spoke to um, uh, somebody about him. So uh, you work a bit with Cactus there, and which I'm sure he was thrilled about. Um, but can you tell me about any interactions with Herb Abrams and your experience with the UWF? Yeah, he was always, he was always around. He was around the boys all the time. Yeah, you know, we're going to, I'm going to get rid of McMahon. I'm going to take over, you know, taking over, <laughs> taking over the, the WWF. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. He was, he was a trip. You know, he was, uh, he wanted to, I mean, this, I guess, you know, he morphed into, really a character after, you know, I only worked his first two or three shows with him. And, um, yeah, he, he was, he was, he came to meet me in Los Angeles. I, I don't know. I was, I'd come back into the, the WWF from Los Angeles or some, I don't know where I was, but he met, I had breakfast in Los Angeles. He seemed like a, you know, reasonable, <laughs> reasonable type guy at the time. Uh, all about his stories. His wife was from Hawaii, evidently. So, um, that's where he got a lot of his startup money from. I get reputedly uh, that he'd uh, taken out, you know, a hundred or so American Express cards or, or credit cards and and and, and uh, got cash to the max on all of them. And that was his up. And then you know later on into the borrowing and the, the, the getting money from loan sharks and stuff like that. He was a trip though. He was you know, he was, he was a little little Napoleon Napoleonic content. Um, you know, he's wanted to be one of the boys in the worst way. Yeah, no, I can I can understand that. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know if you uh, saw the uh, uh, episode of Dark Side Ring about him, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, quite interesting. Um, They're running nude cocaine and setting off fire alarms and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, and the hookers. And he wasn't the first couple of shows. He hadn't morphed that far. He hadn't, he hadn't reached out. <laughs> He hadn't reached those heights yet. He was just yelling and screaming. And I remember Bob Orton was standing there and said, here, here, give him, go eat lunch. Go, go, you know, give him a hundred bucks. <laughs> what? You know, wasn't he part of the, and the first couple of times is his money. He had the money. The, the third time uh, my check went through about three or four times before, before it's finally good. And I realized, you know, it's, you know, and when you, you I guess some people went in there with, with hopes of, uh, you know, succeeding in, in, a, in another wrestling uh, alliance coming because it seemed like he had the money to back it, you know, and all the people. Andre the Giant was there, but I think Andre was there more. Some guys are there more more spies than anything else just to see, just to see what a what a mess that place was. It was, it was just... Uh, he, he, rented, he rented the hotel... Right, uh, I think it's called the the Penta, Penta Hotel, big big New York City downtown hotel, 
at a, at a giant ballroom. So it was directly across the street from Madison Square Garden. That was like, you know, you know, sticking his tongue at the WWF. He thought, you know, it was a little, little ballroom we worked in, maybe a hundred people, maybe a hundred people. And then, you know, we're, we're, he was going to take over New York. Sadly, no. He got taken over by cocaine. Yeah, as I've heard. Uh, <laughs> uh, again, uh, moving forward, jumping around, Eastern Championship Wrestling, working with Tito and Jimmy again. Uh, what was the experience like there, and what did you enjoy most about it? Uh, by that time, I was just getting out of Hawaii for a couple of days, coming back coming back to the old territories and stuff, just to see some of the old guys. Um, it was started, it was well organized. Todd Gordon originally, when I was there, he was uh, he was doing the promotion, and uh, his his the ring announcer Bob Artis, it was it became uh, close uh, family friends with my my wife and myself and my family just by you know letters and, and and meeting after a while. So he's he's actually the one who got me booked there. I was after I retired, I was never really looking for bookings. People would call and ask me if I wanted to work, and at the time my wife was. Uh, my wife was employed with a, a travel company or travel agency or airlines, and did several different things. So, you know, I would get the the plane tickets, and they would pay me pay me cash for the plane ticket, and pay me for the uh, you know pay me for the appearance. And so, so it was you know it's good. To, you know, I'd get back to New York City. In fact, I think the third trip I took was on Valentine's Day, and and uh, my wife and I went there for to New York City for Valentine's Day. So you know, you're going back there, you know, just I would do more now if I could travel. In fact, I would do a lot more now if I could travel. But my legs don't allow me. And I'm, you know, I'd probably do all the, all this, the signing, you know, just to see. Because last time I went, I went to New Jersey, you know, maybe six years ago, I guess. I went to one of those big shows in New Jersey and uh, George Steele, the Animal Steele, and Jerry Briscoe. You know, half a dozen guys, that, you know, were. Orndorff, a lot of guys that were you know still alive and that I had been great, great friends with over the time. I, I went, I went back to you know just to, to hook up with these guys, maybe have a beer. But as it were, I, I was out in Allentown the night before you come back, and as soon as they did their gig, boom, they were off to the airport. So I was left at the hotel by myself. You know, so that was cool too. But you know, it was just you know, it wasn't uh, kind of what I, what I was you know looking forward to. I understand. I understand. Um, yeah, I, I had Bob on the show a little while ago. Um, so I, I just wanted to give him a shout out right now. Uh, Bob is a fantastic guy. Uh, and, you know, I, I I wanted to ask you, you know, what what it was with you and Bob that, that made you two become such close friends? You're Gordon Jr. talking about? Uh, sorry, Bob, Bob Artis. Bob Artis. Oh, ah. Uh... <laughs> his wife Lex, they they uh, they uh, sent, sent us a letter, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't an, an Indian letter, you know. It's you know it's you know reasonable, you know. And they made a doll of uh, of of myself, you know, wrestling with the champion belt headband. They didn't give it to us, and so my wife responded, and we talked. And well, we get together for lunch or something. So we did one time. We we're down around Philadelphia. Or, Jay Kemp to Jersey and stuff. And 
you know, they're just a, in a you know, he was just a cool, intelligent guy. I mean, friendly guy. Uh, wasn't really, you know, um, enamored by uh, me being a professional wrestler. And I could, you know, there weren't not a lot of people at the time that you could just, you know, be a friend with like that. So, and he became, you know, so they became real close with the family. My daughter uh, was growing up there and my son was born in New Jersey. So, and they, they lived in the North Philly and outside of Philly, which is more like South Jersey. They lived about an hour and a half, two hours from where we lived. So, yeah, we just, it's, it just became a, a friendship with, with he and his, he, he and then Lex. That's cool. Um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I brought him up on the show. Uh, uh, when yeah, I interviewed him. Still, still talk to him now. Still call That's him. good. He still calls me. That's good. I consider him a friend now as well. Um, uh, okay, so you you were just, uh, as I was talking to you about Eastern Championship Wrestling, uh, you had said that you uh, around that time, I guess you had uh, decided to retire and you you would do things if somebody had, had asked you if you would wanted to do this or do that. Um, so why was it that you decided during that time in the, uh, I guess, the, the early to mid-90s to uh slowly move away from from working in, in the professional wrestling business couldn't move anymore i was uh i could move but i wasn't uh, i didn't have the quickness to the, the you know the reaction you know the body was the body was wearing down and um, i mean everything the timing wanted to be there mentally was there timing but the, you know the legs and the backs and, the, and everything else was i was just moving slower i'd gone through a couple of grunt tears and a couple other things. So I wasn't, uh, you know, my, 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 my level of work wasn't up to where I, I wanted it to be. So, so doing, so going, just making a personal appearance in some of these other shows, you know, I didn't feel like I was ripping anybody off or anything. I just, you know, you know, not giving them, not giving, you know, five-star performance. Like I, you know, always wanted to, or tried to try to put out there. I understand. Um, and that kind of brings me to a question that I, I find to be uh, an interesting aspect of somebody that has been in the pro wrestling business. Uh, but what, once you leave the business, how do you fill that void of no longer having that adrenaline rush, you know, walking through that curtain in front of that crowd and, and the void where you use that part of your mind to be creative in the ring and and, and listen to the audience and, and, and all of that stuff. There's, there's the creative part of your brain that, that gets turned on by what you do, but also that adrenaline rush that you feel when you go out there. Um, I, I used to be in a rock band that broke up last year and I haven't felt the adrenaline rush since then and I kind of miss it. Um, and I fulfilled that rush by doing interviews uh, over the internet. But uh, uh, how did you fill that void or, you know, how did you handle that for, you, uh, for yourself once you stopped performing? Well, true, the rush is gone. You know, you don't, uh, it's hard, you don't re recreate that unless it's, you know, you know a special... Uh, special moment or special thing, but I guess you have to, you have to set your mind, uh, you know, and move it on to a different, uh, to move on. I became a longshoreman, a dock worker, and I worked on the docks and you have to recondition, recondition yourself that um, you're no longer the superstar, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the man on TV, the, you know, the guy that, um, the guy that uh, you know everybody wants to see, and you know that, that you know 
that you're the guy. Um, for me, it was learning learning the shipping business, and, and you know, from 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 the dirt floor on up to uh, I became a I became a wharf clerk, eventually and through from shipping, uh, you know, from on the docks to behind the scenes to driving 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 big machinery. So you know, it's, you go you walk in you walk into another another line of uh, another line of work, another, another profession, you know, and there's everybody else. There's other suit, you know, you're no longer the superstar that, you know, the crane operator, you know, is or some, you know, a, a great, a great uh, cab, uh, semi-truck driver is or something like that, you know? So you, you, you have to readjust your, it's hard, you know, it's not easy. A lot of you see a lot of these guys. And luckily for most of these guys, they have these, uh, these comic cons and these autograph signings seem, seemingly, once a month or a couple times times a month, where they were able to get along and you know and uh, make a payday out of. I don't know. Uh, it's always well. They, how much do you want? I don't know. How much? How much is people? Are a bunch of people charging? You know, I don't want to. I don't want to be a fool. You know, charge. You know, or look look stupid and undercharge, or you know, be greedy and overcharge. I just I just don't know. You know, I, I don't have any idea. So that uh, this poem, it's all up my wife and my daughter. They 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 make the decisions, and I just follow through, because I'm uh, my wife's supporting her horse with, with this uh, these monies, especially since COVID. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, okay, uh, so I, I guess uh, another question I wanted to ask, uh, you know, it kind of pertains to to all of this, uh, you know. Uh, being a superstar, then having to put yourself in the position where you have to figure out how to uh, get your mind out of that and, and move on and do something different with your life. But then looking back, what do you miss most about uh, being in the wrestling business? The boys, the guys, you know, being around the locker room, being around the business. I, I had a lot of, you know, uh, formed a lot of relationships, a lot of a lot of friends, a lot of you know the Fujis and the Briscoes and the Pipers, the Iron Sheiks and all the guys who were you know oh you know <laughs> a lot of the guys I was close with you know were a lot of the notorious you know the bad guys of uh, of life, <laughs> Dynamite Kid and you know a lot of the Dino Bravo and a lot of those, I was close with many of those guys. But uh, yeah, but, you know, of course, and naturally, you know, the, the the basic ring performance, you know, hitting the ring and the you know the crowd hating you, you know, and, and twenty thousand, thirty, forty thousand people just coming down on you, you know, or cheering you as as it may be, either way. But m the majority of my case is uh, the booze and the hates, you know. But yeah, that you miss that, but and a lot of you miss the locker room. I guess you know, like football players. You know, you, they miss the game. Rugby players, they miss the game. They miss the sport. But I, I would say a lot of uh, retired or out of the business, any out of any type of sports business, I would guess, to my answer, it would be missing the locker room, missing the trips, most missing all those bonding times with all these guys. No, that's a great answer. I, I, I really like that. Um, 
So uh, we're getting close-ish to the end of the interview here, Don, but I wanted to ask a couple of, like, I guess questions you've been asked many times. Um, in particular, you know, that moment, you know, when, when Jimmy came off the top of the cage onto you, I know you've probably been asked this about a million times, but uh, did you... Well, going into that, did you realize or think that later on down the line, all of these guys would pop up in the business saying, I was there, that's the reason I wanted to get in the business, you know, all a plethora of guys saying that they were in the arena that night. How does that make you feel knowing that you're a part of a moment that spurred all of these guys on to get into the wrestling business? Well, naturally, it's a lot of gratification, you know, that, uh, we worked for something and we, you know, achieved a lot and were able to um, inspire maybe is, is the word, I don't know, or, or you know, or just uh, entertain a lot of guys that would later, uh, uh, Mick Foley, Tommy Dreamer, uh, some of the other guys that were around, you know, were able to, um, oh my God. We're able, you know, we're able to, uh, you know, at the, you know, Going going back, looking back on in retrospect, you know, it's good at the moment when it happened, we were just in the moment, you know, trying to create uh, what, what what was, you know, a great thing going on with, with Jimmy and I, you know, and, and it was a hell of a match. And, and, you know, what the people came to see that particular cage match is I had, you know, a tremendous amount of heat with the fans and Jimmy was, you know, super loved, you know, by the, you know, and what they had come to see, you know, really was to him, watch him dive off the top of the cage onto me. And um, they got it, you know, they got their money's worth. So they, they say they offered, you know, so that was a, they call it a transitional moment in professional wrestling. I don't know so much about that, maybe, you know, but it was our, it was our moment and we worked to, we worked to put it together well. Absolutely. It must feel good to know that, you know, as many years will go by long after you're gone and I'm gone, that will always be in the highlight reel of, of, of professional wrestling. That will always be a part of that highlight reel. Um, I thought it was important. It was just uh, recently, oh, uh, maybe three or four weeks ago was the anniversary of that match. And I'm, <laughs> I got uh, message after message sending me <laughs> sending me that uh, that that spot from the top of the gate over and over again. All over my Facebook was all over the place. I was able to relive that maybe a thousand times <laughs> for the last couple of weeks. Oh, that's awesome. Um, another random question that I had here. Who from after you retired, would you think that like a Domaraco in his 80s prime who do you think Don Morocco and his 80s prime could have made a lot of money with? Who's somebody that you would have liked to have worked with from down the line? Oh, gosh, there was a lot of great guys. Undertaker, probably number one, you know. He was uh, – uh, he goes overlooked in a lot of things, but I think he's had, he had the finest – he had the finest run of almost anybody there. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, 20-something years, you know, main event uh, – Whatever, whatever pay-per-view it was, you know, he was, he pretty much, you know, was right up there at the top. Uh, and then, you know, all the, all their, all their pretty much champions, 
Shawn Michaels, Brett, of course. I worked with Brett when he was young, coming up. Uh, Brett, Shawn, John Cena would have, you know, he was good to having promos with him. He was, you know, took me a while to appreciate him because he was a little different. But yeah, you know, anybody, any, a lot of these Roman, even the, the guys, the, of course, they work where they work way harder than we were back in those days. So, you know, I have to do a do an extra half hour in the stair stairmaster or something <laughs> to be able to be able to keep up with these guys. But yeah, they got there. And I think a lot good good number of the guys that uh, that that took over and became uh, Kurt Henning was a close friend of mine, and we traveled when he but before he came became Mister Perfect and went back to. Uh, Minneapolis at home and then came back to on the road uh, in New York and stuff as the with the Mr. With, uh, Mr. Perfect persona he turned into a hell of a work you know there was where we where I was at in New York at that time and pretty much all over all the places I, I was in I was pretty much subject subjected to uh, the top of the you know the top of the line the, the top of the all the other the wrestlers all the top of the competition available Tito Santana, you know, um, uh, Greg Valentine, all the all these guys. You know, I had the opportunity to, uh, you know, to 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 be featured with you know pretty much everybody, and uh, they were all you know. I guess once you reach that level, they're all you know you expect, you know you expect a a, a, a matter of uh, you know expect you know competency their their level you know. Of that, you know, and it doesn't take a lot of uh, a lot of planning or anything else. Things kind of meld together. Excellent, excellent. Um, okay, I, I wanted to ask you about what life is like now in in uh, Hawaii. Uh, what What's a typical day in the life of of Don Morocco these days? For anyone out there that that that, that wants to know how your life is these days. Well, life is great. I'm retired. Uh, I have a home, Sunset Beach. Uh, oh, uh, famous to many surfers. A lot of the, a lot of this is the in fact, now is surf season, so I'm sure there's a lot of uh, Aussies and you know different parts of the world come here. It used to be for the contests, but they no longer you know run the Triple Crown anymore. It's gone to a different uh, different format, and and uh, but the Australians used to come back here. Since uh, oh, since Mitchett Farley, I guess, way back to his days, Matt Young, then on to uh, Mark Richards and Peter Townend and uh, Ian Ian Carnes, and you know, and then now now all the new uh, all the new wave guys that I don't know, but those were the, you know the older guys that uh, oh, I know I watch them on TV and stuff on the, the World Surf League things, but I don't know any of these guys personally. All those guys, I used to surf with them and hang out. But now, yeah, I get up three times a week. I swim. I swim an hour for an hour in the morning. And then the other three days a week, I, uh, I have a little bench and some real light wood dumbbells that I uh, keep myself busy with, try to break up a sweat, break out a sweat. That's it. With COVID, it's been a lot of TV. <laughs> you, know, <it's> just, uh, <laughs> you know, the restaurant experience, the dining experience, and Movie experience, and you know, a lot of them have uh, gone gone downhill a bit, but hopefully they come back for us and, and you guys as well. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so great, great to hear about that, Don. Uh, and I guess at this point, before we get to our final segment of the show, I wanted to ask you if there was anything that you'd like to plug. I know you've got a podcast going right now. Uh, please let everyone out there know um, what's going on. I do a yeah, I do a podcast with uh, James Romero. He he's uh, in in uh, England, uh, London somewhere, <laughs> and uh, we do a he he does the basic ones and he, he does a lot of clips. It's on it's on. Uh, it's really iPod, iTunes, I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's a magnificent, magnificent Don, yeah, cartoons. Magnificent Don Morocco podcast, I think it's called. And yeah. something, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so that's, you know, and we do, you know, since we're calling Fuji stories and Tito Santana and Bob Back, and, you know, we got all, a lot of the guys I, you know, knew. And at different times coming uh, coming up and going down the roads of, of professional wrestling. Different different uh, aspects of my life that I went through. And he, he prepares a he prepares a uh, a statement, a, a block of questions, and I, I try and remember. And guys <laughs> I knew and guys I didn't know. A lot of them are just recalling uh, different stories that I, I've heard from, you know, they go around. Not they're not firsthand. Not firsthand uh, commentary like Mike Sharp's fight. To, uh, you know, this different things that happened. I, I wasn't there. For Adrian Adonis and Dan Spivey or something like that. I, I wasn't there. I, the next day, uh, we have the different towns. You know, I was in a different town that night, and um, so I, I try and recall when when when, Dan, uh, when Dynamite had his teeth knocked out by Jacques Rougeau. I wasn't there. Well, you know, I just, uh, the next night, I, you know, it, uh, the next day I found out. So, I, you know, a lot of things are just, that are recalled from, you know, accounts that were put together and a lot of, you know, first-hand reactions of times with food or times with the uh, late Angel Moscow who just passed away this week. And, and different, you know, a lot of guys, Bonnie Main, and a lot of friends that I had, George Steele. Yeah. You know, I, we, I drove back with uh, from Washington, D.C., to. New Haven with George and I think we hit every bar on I-95 uh, going back to New Haven from what from DC. So you know, and, you know, any place you go with George with George Steele, you're in, in, you know, I was I was uh I was well pretty well known, beach bum on TV, you know, and everything else. I was uh I, I was uh well recognized. But anywhere you go with George Steele. You know that's uh, that bald head and you know that big that face. You know, it instantly those are the wrestlers. Yes, yeah, so anywhere you, anywhere anywhere you used to go with George, was a was an instant uh, instant sighting. <laughs> Excellent, Don. Um, okay, well, we're getting to our final segment here of the show. It's called Five Second Frenzy. I've got quick fire questions for quick fire answers here, Don. Uh, no pressure though. The first question is Who would you say is your favorite wrestler? You know, from when you were a fan, who would you say was your favorite wrestler? As a fan, 
Oh God, there's many. Probably starting in Hawaii, Johnny Baran, handsome Johnny Baran. He was the your pre WWF 40 years ahead of time, coming out of coffins with music and top hats and capes. And you know, he was and he was he was real entertaining around here. I've uh I, I like this. Well, there was a lot of guys, you know. I always find that question is like your favorite match, your favorite arena. I, I think everything goes into a time or a space. Or the, you know, there's there's many, uh, you know, many. Ivan Koloff was a great, uh, you know, I really you know enjoyed wrestling and working with him. You know, different guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, getting away from wrestling, then uh, moving into the arts, I suppose you could say. Do you have a favorite book? Oh God! Before my eyes left me, I did do a lot of uh, Tom Clancy. Uh, Summer Ball Fears and and uh, was it Clayville with the Shogun and Taipan and some of those. I did most I did most of that reading in Australia when I was there because <laughs> uh, a lot of that was. But you know the eyes, your eyes, you know your eyes aren't uh, that set up for going through a thousand pages anymore after <laughs> that. So you know it's it, it, it become my readings become more selective. <laughs> Fair enough. I know you mentioned before that you've been doing a lot of watching of TV in the last year or so. Uh, what would you say is your favourite TV show? Oh, boy. I like the old 24. What's, what's on now? I look forward to. Um, I like the Chicago show. I like the Chicago uh, Fire, ah. Chicago PD. I mean, I'm not, you know, recently I just uh, taped a bunch of uh, old uh, old programs, old movies, you know, old 48 Hours 2 and, you know, old classics that I, that I watch, you know, as opposed to, it's not tape, it's record, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, as I can, so I can go through and eliminate the commercials, just watch yeah. the show pretty much. And, and I think there's a lot of old movies and stuff now, older movies, not the old old movies, but stuff that I grew up with. Yeah, so what would you say would be your favorite film of all time? Wow. Shawshank, Good Morning Vietnam. That's the um, two good choices right there. Robin Williams stuff. Shawshank yeah. Redemption is a good one. Um, I can't think of where in my head it's off the top of many That's others. okay. Uh, oh, well, I, I like uh, the first, um, what's his name? Uh, Denzel Washington. Oh, I got lost. There you go. Uh, Denzel Washington, Equalizer, and. and um, Athletics and the accountant. Those are my and uh, uh, law-abiding citizen. Oh, ah, yeah. Those, those three lately. Uh, as of late, are you still with me? Yes, I'm still with you. You're breaking up a little bit there, but I, uh, I, 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 can you hear me? Okay. All right. 
I got you. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Now there's some good films there. Um, I, ho- I hope this isn't another difficult one to answer. Do you have a favourite musical artist or band? Um, there again, favourites. You know, I like, I was thinking this yesterday. I, I love, there's a lot of, lot of lady singers I like, you know, and, and um, my, probably my two favourite are Whitney Houston and Janis Joplin. So, you know, if, you, if you're going for a number one, you know, they're, 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 I think they're just polar opposites, you know, and, and many, you know, this, you know, many in between the, uh, some, a lot of the divas, Celine, Celine Dion and some of these other ones, for the ladies and um, Karen Carpenter, how, how oh. her, her voice is so perfect. Her, 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 uh, her, her music is so, her, her uh, voice quality is so perfect. You know, I just, not necessarily, you know, she would draw me to a concert, but everything she does seems, you know, so, so uh, in tune. And so, so as a favorite, you know, it's hard when you get old. It's hard, it's hard to <laughs> nail down favorites. You Whitney here and you got, you know, Janice over there. And the similarities between, aside from being great, the similarities uh, between the two are just totally non-existent. <laughs> and for, for guys, I don't know. I like to, I even like Michael Jackson, but I like a lot of them. a lot of the men I like now. You know, it would be probably older. Led Zeppelin, uh, actually the Beatles. I the Beatles I grew up with. Zeppelin, Beatles. Uh, my acumen kind of halted in the '60s, and she uh, <laughs> did you know a little to pick up guys as you know pick up artists and favorites as I went along. And then well, in the 70s and 80s, I was working all the time. So, you know, just subject to a radio, what happened <laughs> to the radio. But, um, yeah, you know, a wide, wide, wide scope. Very good, very good. We're finally getting away from the arts. There's only four more here on, on, on this segment. Uh, favorite food? Hmm. Oh. Lobster. Although we don't get any, we don't have any decent lobster. Maybe we have, to, we have to go to Waikiki to get uh, decent lobster here, steak and lobster. I guess that would be, you know, and then a lot of Hawaiian foods, raw fish and uh, different different types of fish that they have available here in Hawaii that, that go by different names, different, different parts of the world. Uh, Krupman. And, but I remember, you know, in New Zealand, they had a lot of good fish. Yeah. Thinking lobster would always uh, always fill the bill. Nice, nice. Uh, did you ever have a favorite place to eat on the road? Oh God, Arnold Scolan. He knew he ever he had everywhere. He, he knew every, wherever you went, every every dive, every 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 grandma's house. He had uh, there was in Portland, Maine. In Portland, Maine, there was a. Uh, 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 a deli delicatessen restaurant was the name of it. The uh, Sportsman's Sportsman's Club or Sportsman's Bar. This is way back. You couldn't get two uh, steam lobsters or boiled lobsters. I think it was for like eight ninety five or nine ninety five, and, and uh, you know just good sized lobsters. And I would go with Fuji. You know, I'd be with food, and then you get two dozen uh, fresh right out of the water uh, oysters. For, you know, the same. Just for nothing really. And I'd go with Fuji and Fuji never cared for the lobster tails or the claws. 
He just wanted the heads. He just wanted. He just wanted the heads. So I, you know, I give him my heads, and I take. I need these tails and stuff. I, it makes no sense, but that's the way it was with food. Yeah, uh, yeah. If I, if I go, my memory serves me right. Going up, uh, up to Portland, Maine, at the Sportsman's uh, Bar, Sportsman's Bar in Portland, Maine. I don't even know if it's still there. Oh God. Unbelievable. Excellent. That sounds fantastic. Uh, the, the next one is, what is your favorite alcoholic beverage? Oh, boy. Beer. That was, that was, nobody drinks beer anymore. They all drink that, uh, all, all the, the, you know, it's all the, the water stuff. I see everybody walking around with that. All over the place. So, yeah, uh, I, I, I like beer. Uh, for a long time, it was beer and Crown Royal. But, um, uh, yeah, beer, Crown, uh, you know, whatever, whatever was going in the room. Piper, if you was that Piper was Bacardi and Coke. You know, who believed it? It was uh, Ric Flair's Kamikazes, you know. Yeah. It, it just did a different way. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 it's not even beer, you know. No, it's, yeah, I've even gotten away from the beer. And I, you know, well, I may drink a beer once or twice a week, you know. Or when I go out to a restaurant for dinner or something with wine. But, uh, yeah, I don't, don't drink much anymore. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, almost at the end here, Don. I did enjoy it, though. <laughs> That's good. Uh Favorite female body part? You see a good-looking lady. What is something that Don Morocco's eyes will will look at first? Maybe got back. <laughs> I, I love like it. the back, you know. <laughs> I like the, the a good, you know, pretty face is a uh, and um, naturally a chest, a large chest will get your attention. It wasn't necessarily a priority of mine. I, I would, you know, the, the back, the back would, uh, the back would light up some stars. <laughs> but you know, I enjoy. Yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, enjoy women. I was never in the other camp. Um, not that there's anything wrong with them. Obviously, partial to uh, partial, partial to the ladies, and never, never strayed from that. Uh, never strayed from that addiction. Happily. <laughs> awesome, mate. Uh, and the last one is: uh, I don't think you've said one swear word since being on the show. Um, obviously, you're quite the gentleman, but. In Australia, we, we do curse a lot. Do you have a favorite curse word? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's, yeah. Sure, I do. More than one. Boy. Um, yeah, yeah, the yeah, F-bombs are pretty good. <laughs> I, 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 was, I, I lay back on these uh, podcasts and stuff with, with, with thought that, that maybe, you know, a kid or something is watching, and I'm not, you know, and my reputation precedes me. So the name, everybody knows I'm, I'm not really a choir boy, you know. And, and um, 
if I did, a lot of priests would like me, maybe. But, um, you know, it, yeah. Um, I try not to. I, my, my other podcast I, I have, you know, it slips once in a while, but I don't, uh, I don't, you know, Australia, England, United States, I don't, uh, yeah, I, I have my, you know, uh, I don't have the, the cleanest of mouths, so, you know, pretty funny, you know, if things get down and going. <laughs> Excellent, Don. Well, I, I, I just want to thank you so much for being on my show here um, today, Don. Uh, it really means a lot to me to have had the opportunity to connect with you, hear a few stories and have you answer all of my silly questions. I really appreciate your time, sir. And I just want you to know that all the way over here, in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia, you've got a bunch of oh, people over here. Perth, huh? I, was, I went to Perth several times. <laughs> just watching the contest from there. Of course, that's, that's uh, well, yeah, it's a fabulous part of Australia. You're, you're moved away from your isolated from all that east coast. To <laughs> yeah, I love that. Swan Lager. I remember Swan Lager. <laughs> they, uh, I love that. That's they're talking about a talking about a favorite beverage, but that was uh, but thank you for having me. It's nice to be, you know, it's nice to be remembered. Nice that I can lay out, you know, different stories and anecdotes that, that uh. I enjoyed and entertained me the course of my life and, you know, keeping up with the, even what, what things I'm doing now. So, yeah, thanks for having me. I, you know, I appreciate all my fans, appreciate all the, you know, the support I had and the support that continues to come, you know, come down the road for me. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's been an enjoyable life. I have no, uh, well, I have a lot of regrets here. I, you know, I was with the girl in the docks one time. Uh, she was Hawaii's first crane operator, first female. And she said, would you? And she was evidently pretty satisfied. She said, would you change everything, anything? If, you know, you had you went back in, in your life and I said, oh, my God. I said, would you? She, no, I, you know, she was happy and content. Where she, I said, oh, God, there's so many, you know, there's so many fork roads that I, that I passed, you know, that I took, that I could have gone left when I when I should have gone right, or uh, so many doors I opened that, that should have remained closed. You know, I, you know, made a lot of mistakes. You know, as you as as everybody does traveling, you know, through this game of life that we have. But uh, you know, for the most part, ended up on my feet and enjoyed it. And the people I met, the people I experienced, and, and the people that I um, had contact with and grew to know and to love over the over a period of time you know i have all you know played a impression left an impression on my mind um normally good I, I i like to get rid of the bad so normally good normally good people that uh you know entertaining anyway you the iron sheik and Roddy piper jim neidhart and adrian adonis just some fantastic characters you know that I that I uh, spent a lot of time with and got to know over the years, Jimmy Snooker. Absolutely, Don. Well, um, yeah. well, good time. I'm happy to hear all that. Uh, and and again, I want to thank you so much for your time. This has been really uh, an honor for me. So thank you so much. Well, I'm happy we get this in. We've tried several times. <laughs> I actually had a power outage. Two weeks ago, we were all set to do. You're all ready to go. I was sitting here ready and 
click, everything goes off. And uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Anytime. I appreciate it and, and appreciate the time. Aloha. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And thank you, everyone out there, for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm California, alongside my new friend here, Don the Rock Morocco, and we will see you down the road. Thank you.